0: Gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. We into to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott! A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes.
1: G'day everybody, welcome to episode 5 of Inside the Ropes, great to have you with us again, the week post the US Open, which will be front and centre of course, um, through a bunch of the conversations, we're going to have John Huggin, renowned golf rider, is getting up very, very early in the morning, Scotland time, Mark Hayes to have a chat to us, hello to you great man.
2: G'day Murray, I'm very impressed with Huggy to uh, fall out of the rack, full of jet lag after coming back from Wisconsin all the way back to... Uh Scotland, so great achievement by him just to even pick up the phone and get him, get him, give us a bit of his love.
1: He's grumpy at the best of times, <laughs> uh, given all the things that have sort of tick tacked on his way to where he's going to be when we get him on the phone. He could say anything. Yeah. Joe Charlton, jo, lovely to have you back since the first one of these.
3: Thanks, Mari. Good to be here again. How are you going? Very, very well, yeah. Busy at work, doing some regional development stuff, and but... I love it back here in the studio, so and even for more,
1: And even more sickening than any of that is that by the time most people are listening to this podcast hazy, Joe Charlton's going to be in Thailand uh, on a Thai island, which is extremely annoying.
3: Tanning it up, working on my um, or getting rid of my old golf golf tans. So I'll, are you um, serious? I am, Saturday morning, straight off to Bangkok for some street food, followed by Koh Samui. Some,
1: Magnificent. Yeah. If it's cooked, eat it.
3: Agreed. That's the only rule Agreed. of thumb, isn't
1: it? If it's cooked, eat whatever it is, don't 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 even ask, just eat it and it'll be delicious. Um, Huggy's about to join us. Uh, there's a load to talk to him about. You've been picking a fight, though, Hazy. Um, yeah. In fact, well, before we get stuck into it, we should uh, remind listeners that you can subscribe to the show. If you're listening to it for the first time... Um, on Apple Podcasts, which the old-timers like me used to call uh, iTunes, but it is Apple Podcasts. Or for Android users, download a podcast app through Google Play and get the show delivered to your device every Thursday. Um, You can also check it out. I've done a really silly tutorial. If you don't know how to find your uh podcast, podcast icon on your phone, there's a 25-second tut- tutorial. I, I saw that. Thing?
2: Yeah, it was like Julius Sumner Miller all over again. It was magnificent. <laughs>
1: you know when you speak for 25 seconds and you know words have come out of your mouth but you got no idea what you actually said? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much what it was. And if you actually listen to that explanation, I don't think you're going to be any of the wiser for knowing how to do it, but uh, there is an explanation on, on how you can actually um, get those... Um, Podcast downloads delivered directly to your phone on a weekly basis. And we've got to thank all the people who have subscribed again this week (laughs) and have left um, messages. The messages have been Uh, delightful, to be honest. They have been. But coming through thick and fast. And we've got to stop this because I think people are leaving (laughs) messages now just so they get their (laughs) name mentioned. But a bunch of people have. Left messages on the promise that we'd read out their names. So go on, Hazy, read out their names for us. Uh,
2: Crouchy fifty five has given us a bit of love. Matt Smythe, Daz seventy four seventy four. You need some work there, Daz, on your handle. Thomas Caldo and the famous Tommy. Oz Trader. Very nice of you to leave us five star reviews, boys. Indeed,
1: and girls. Indeed, a lot of you. And because of all of that, we actually peaked Joe this week. There's a um there's a kind of rankings order. I hear top ten was it? Keep going if you don't. Top ten, 10. No, on the Apple
3: podcast. I learned something new too. I, I didn't realize that it was an iTunes or an Apple podcast. But
2: <laughs> thank you, you,
3: thank you, thank you very much. I've learned something new, Did and we- I've just just seen on Face um, FaceTime or Facebook, sorry, live. You are an old timer, aren't you? Yeah, I know. I'm getting there. Sue O's just joined us, so for the first time, we are live streaming here in the studio, and Sue is there for us. G'day, Sue. We'll speak to you soon. She Hello, watch, Sue. She's watching this as Cheers. we. She's
1: making sure that this thing is actually real and it's a legit <laughs> thing because she's going to be joining us in about half an hour. time. I've got to
2: tell you, Andy, this is so far above my head technologically. It's ridiculous. You <laughs> were talking like, about
1: the hotspots and stuff before uh, because you had to post a story before we went. Yeah, well,
2: that was all a cire. I can assure you.
1: Um, Huggy's ready to go, so we won't hold him up for too much longer. But you did you. you you're kind of in inverted commas. I said you picked a fight with the Golf Channel's Brandel Chamberlain, of course, long-time tour player. Yeah. Um, and you've written a really interesting column, which we're going to talk to flash out with Huggy when he joins us. But um, you've sort of taken Brandall to task a little bit.
2: Well, to be fair to Brandall, I actually like most of his stuff, and I find him relatively well-researched. Um, so I, I do give him that credit there. But I nearly fell off my couch, Andy, the other day when they were discussing the third-round scoring sort of phenomenon at uh, Aaron Hills, highlighted by Justin Thomas' 63, the best US Open score to par ever, came back after the round was finished and analysed it and said, we need courses 8,000 plus yards. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I nearly choked. I, 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 it was one of the most bizarre things and people have been harassing me saying, you didn't understand what he was saying. He's saying, if we have this technology, we need to do this. Well, let's look at it a bit more logically than that. I mean, we can't just generate land. We can't yeah. make new courses, just suddenly grow 500 metres the only course that, or club that's got remotely the financial capacity to do that is Augusta National. And, you know, it's sprawling halfway across Georgia as it is. <laughs> so, you know, let's get fair dinkum. It's technology. It's the ball. And we need to talk about that. And I know Huggy's hot to trot. Plus well, the
3: time factor. Sorry to cut in no, there. Go like, hard. we keep encouraging clubs to think about shorter formats of the yeah. game. Six, nine, 12-hole formats. Spot on, Joe. And here we are trying to lengthen courses, which is going to add X amount of time. Like, it's... It's not feasible from a participation point of view.
2: Yeah, and that's what that was a key thing. I mean, we we don't want bifurcation in some respects. We want you know golf to be sort of what it is for everyone across the board. But it's getting to the point with the technology where that's becoming impossible. Mm. And and it's not just that I'm not just talking just purely at an elite major championship level. I'm talking right down to club level. No, like of Joe, course, it, of it's the, this. Sprawl for land is just absurd. We No one can afford it. We can't justify what we've got. So. And,
1: and new clubs feel the pressure. They do feel the pressure. if they If they have any sort of aspiration to be a championship layout, they do feel the pressure when they're redesigning a new course. And I'm a member of one at the moment that is sort of grappling with this at the moment. I think, even though they haven't necessarily stated that, I think they are grappling with that. And it's... You got to remember who you who you're feeding here. The members are your constituents. Absolutely, you know? they're
2: the most important people in golf. Not the pros, not the touring no. pros. I mean, they make the game and they're the face of the game. But without the guys and girls at club level, we're, we're cactus. And I just before we go to Huggy, yep. a case in point here is the Waringa Country or Warringah Golf Club in Northern Sydney. Mm. In a huge battle to keep its 18 holes, uh, the council there, Warringah Council, wants to get rid of a fair bit of turf and give it to other sports and other development projects. Imagine telling Warringah Golf Club that we need to expand you know, a few extra holes just to make sure the balls can fly to where they need to fly these mm-hmm. days. I mean, it would make them sick. It would make them sick. If you're about to lose half of your course that you've been a member of for 40 years... It's gut wrenching.
1: It, it is, and it's, and there's an absurdity in the whole conversation. And John Hugan has been good enough to take our call. It's very, very early well, uh, <laughs> over there in Scotland, and the world's one of the world's great ro- golf writers and commentators, and a friend to everybody here at Inside the Ropes. Has been good enough to join us. Hello, Huggy. Hello there.
4: How are we?
1: You? Are you doing well? We're going okay. You've heard a lot of that, I suspect. I don't know how long you've been on the line for, but you've heard most of that, and. I suspect you've probably heard about Brandel Chamberlain's call that courses need to be 8,000 metres and beyond to um, test these players who are, you know, turning it up at the elite level. Um, I reckon you've probably got many and varied responses to that, but in a nutshell, how do you respond to that?
4: Well, well, based on last week, I mean, uh, Hazy's column was was terrific. Um, I agreed with with every word of it that... uh, and last week we had a course that was almost 8,000 yards, and it kind of revealed the, the dirty little secret that goes on in, in top-level professional golf, and that most of the time these guys are not hitting drivers anymore. They're, they're only hitting their three woods. And last week on a course that was so long and so wide that they were able to hit their drivers, we had the situation whereby at the halfway point, 116 members of the field were averaging over 300 yards off the tee, and after the cut was made, I think 68 guys made the cut, and 50 of them were averaging over 300. And we had situations where Dustin Johnson, who missed the cut, he hit it over the back on a 676-yard par five, the 18th. And then we had the you know <clears throat> the famous one on the last hole on Sunday where Brick, Brooks Koepka that he's three wood off the tee, 379 yards. It's, uh, as I say, if, if you let these guys hit driver, it's going to be close to 400 yards before we know where we are.
2: I love it when you reveal dirty little secrets, Huggy. It <laughs> sort of just warms my heart. <laughs> Mate, uh, we obviously didn't get the chance to go to to Erin Hills, but it's in rural rural Wisconsin. I shouldn't say that too early in the morning, but... Uh, you know, it's on a sprawling piece of glaciated land that's not available to very many uh, potential golf courses or, you know, that that sort of land available to any existing golf courses. When you hear people say, we need to build longer courses, and you compare it to Erin Hills and what you just saw firsthand there, how how maniacal is it to, to... I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but how maniacal is it to suggest that other clubs could grab that much land and make it make it happen? Well, it's, it's nonsense. I
4: mean, you know, as you've pointed out, the... uh it's just crazy to even think that we could do that. I mean, you, you touched on bifurcation there just before I came on. But we've actually got bifurcation right now. I mean, the the game that the professionals play and the game that you and I play has never been more different. And that's been created by the RNA and the USGA doing basically nothing about the technology. I mean, they'll claim that the, the averages of you know, the distance is not getting any greater than it was back in 2002 when they came out with a Famous joint statement of principles, but that—that's nothing more than an insult to our intelligence these days. I mean, the, they, they look us in the eye and tell us that the, the, the guys are not in any further. But then, as you just pointed out, if you give them a golf course like last week, they're hitting them miles. They're, they're hitting at three hundred and fifty yards of fatigue regularly. I mean, with the drivers and just about as far with the three woods. I mean, they're, they're now at the point on the tour where the, the distances that you read week to week on the PGA Tour and the European Tour. That's them hitting most of the time their freewoods. It's not even their drivers. It's it's completely out of control.
3: What yeah. is the answer? Is it, is it back to uh, hickory clubs?
4: <laughs> well, some, some people have accused me of, of uh, actually suggesting that, but no, I, w- I wouldn't quite go that far. I mean, the, 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 the solution is, or the easy solution is obvious. We need to do something about how far these guys can hit the golf ball. I mean, you, we can get into the size of the driver head and all the rest of it, but that's expensive for the uh, the average guy who's already purchased his $400, whatever it is, for the driver these days. <clears throat> the easy fix is, is obviously the golf ball. If you knock um, 50 yards or something off it for the pros, I don't think we would even notice, to be honest. I mean, we don't have the... The average guy doesn't have the swing speed that so it makes any difference if he switched the ball. And then, of course, I, get, I always get people asking me when I say these things, where do we go back to Well, it, to me, the, the answer is obvious. We go back to the point where the R&A started messing around with the old courses in Andrews and making it longer and building new tees and having tees off the golf course. That, is, that should be the one course in the world that should be a, you know, a monument, an untouched monument forever so that we can compare the, the modern players with the guys in the past. It's getting more and more difficult to do that. That's one thing that we're losing with all this distance nonsense. So that, to me, is the obvious solution. We go back to probably somewhere in the mid-90s with the old course and get the guys hitting drivers and playing that course the way way it's supposed to be played and not the way that it is now where we've got the situation where uh, if you have the prevailing wind on the old course at an Open Championship, the last hole, which should be a par 4, is actually a long par 3, so that's the situation where we're at right now.
2: Okay, I, I, everything to fix here is going to come at a cost, in, in some respects, um, but it's still relatively simple and, and cheap to fix. Now, we've taken a few steps along a path. If we don't start doing it, do you believe that it would get you know out of hand, and the fix will become progressively more difficult? And I bring in my column. I mentioned the America's Cup, which to me has become the most farcical sporting event in the world, bearing absolutely no right. resemblance to sailing whatsoever. I may as well just put a, a, a powerboat on the on the water these days. I know we're not to that stage, but is that the sort of progression we're heading down?
4: Well, the strange thing is, if you, if you look at other sports, golf, I think, is probably the only sport I can think of where we've actually protected the equipment at the expense of the venues. Other sports have done exactly the opposite. I mean, baseball in America, they, they don't let them use the, the metal bats because if they did, the, the top guys would be hitting out of the ground every time. And in tennis, they slowed the ball down you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, because the certainly at Wimbledon, it was getting ridiculous. It was all just 2, point, uh, two, two hit rallies. I mean, there was serve, and maybe the, the ball would come back, maybe it wouldn't. But golf has done exactly the opposite. We, we've spent all our money, you know, protecting the the equipment uh, and expensive venues. We've now, we now, the top guys cannot play these old great these great old courses. I mean, the U.S. Open is going to a succession of wonderful old courses in the next. Ten years, and, I, and I'm not sure that the original de- intent of the uh, any of the designers of these places is going to be able. It's going to hold up. So, sure. you know, Shinnecock Hills next year. We all know what happened there the last time the U.S. Open was played. There it was a complete farce. So, I'm worried that the only way that they're going to be able to keep the scores up in a sort of normal range, if you like, in inverted commas, is by growing long grass everywhere. They certainly mm-hmm. did that at um, at Merion in 2014 or 13 when Justin Rose won, I mean, the the original intent of the designer there was completely lost because all the places where you were supposed to hit the ball to get the best angle into the the greens was covered in long grass. So everybody ended up playing the holes in exactly the same way, which is another consequence of all this nonsense is that they grow the rough and the fairways get so narrow that any semblance of strategy is completely lost. It just becomes a penal game where... If you miss, you pitch out and you play on from there. It's, it's
3: all nonsense, really. And that's what I was going to ask you about, Huggy. I think part of this debate does it have to come down to a bit of course design and course setup? Mike Davis said in the week leading up to the US Open that he said that he wanted a course setup that tests every aspect of the game. In your view, did he achieve that?
4: Well, no. I mean, uh, the. <laughs> the, the I think Brooks Koepka announced somewhere during the championship that he hadn't hit more than a seven iron <laughs> to any of the par fours. I mean, or well, even the par fives. I'm not even sure about that. But the the, the point is, he hadn't hit He hadn't hit a long iron all week, and uh, that is, is completely lost at the top level. These guys, they don't need their long irons. They could probably knock their clubs down to about ten in the bag and, and get away with it. It's, uh, and the other thing is the the hybrids. I, I played. Um, at the end of last year, I was lucky enough to be, I played with Mike Clayton and Sue O and myself, played with uh, Nicholas Coulson in the pro-arm at the World Cup at Kingston Heath. I actually wrote a column over this in, in Golf Australia magazine and it was a depressing experience <laughs> because not only did Nicholas Coulson play a completely different golf course, it was basically pitch and putt for him compared with the one that the rest of us were playing. We got on a par three hole where I think Mike and I both hit four irons, and, and Nicholas Coulson smashed this 8-iron towards the green. And I said to him, well, drop another ball and see if you can hit a 6-iron. It was slightly into left-to-right wind. <clears throat> and just see if you can hit a little draw and hold it up against the wind and play that shot. Now, he can do that. He's an extremely talented guy. But the ball wouldn't let him do it. He couldn't hit anything other than an absolutely straight shot. Because he, and as hard as he tried, he was almost trying to snap hook it. and still couldn't get the ball to hold up. You know, the art of shot-making has been almost completely lost at the top level, and it's just a case of them hitting straight shots all the time. I mean, we could go on and on about this. I mean, I'm I'm getting depressed listening
1: to myself. No, 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 it's an issue. Let me just ask you the devil's advocate question, John. Do you find it, as much as it is a grotesque to, um, you know, given so many of the points that you've raised already, is there anything about it that you find exhilarating?
4: Well, the, the people say that um, you know the average punter goes to the tournament and he loves to see the the, the the long drive. Now, that that is certainly true, but I'm not sure if you and I stand behind a tee at a golf tournament, whether you can uh, you and I could tell the difference between a 290 yard drive and a 350 yard drive. Mm. You know, they're going to look just as impressive. So I don't think that is, that aspect of the game is going to be lost if we if we cut the ball back. But um, yeah, I mean
1: you think you could tell the difference? Well, I don't know. I, it, you sort of go back to the Norman days when I was a kid and you followed him around, you know, like Royal Melbourne, and he'd cut corners where other guys were laying up. And he was using, you know, the standard ball and a persimmon head driver. Um, I think it was still the wooden head drivers back in those days. I'm pretty sure it was. And yeah. so, so he was just a freak of nature. He, he could do something that... Um, you know, other players couldn't do, and I kind of wonder—not challenging any of the points that any of you guys have raised because they're all unbelievably valid. But I always think I just wonder whether the conditioning and the athletic um, ability of some of these guys, like you see, you know, the way John, Johnson Johnson kind of rips it. You just wonder whether he will still have an ex- an extreme advantage over you know seventy five percent of the field because of the torque that he generates and the club head speed he generates and you know, the shoulder general, all those things that he can do that a lot of people can't. I wonder whether you're still going to get these kind of freaks of nature anyway.
4: Well, there's two points I'd make about that. Um, Have you seen film of Arnold Palmer back in the day? Yeah, yeah. Do you really think that Dustin Johnson is a better athlete now than Arnold Palmer was at the top of his game? There's no difference. Arnold Palmer was just as good an athlete as Dustin Johnson, to my mind. I mean, he was a, a, a... Fantastic looking game I in belt belt, and he's
1: smashed. Yeah, ball. but they still run faster now, and they jump higher uh, by and large, and they throw things further in 2017 than they did back in 1965. Like yeah, it's well, it, more off them. Yeah, certainly. well, that, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and they've just got and better. They've, they've got better things to help them get in shape. I'm not saying that Palmer wasn't as good a natural athlete as a guy like Justin Thomas or um, or, or Dustin Johnson, but. The facilities that they have at their disposal, and the training aids, and the support staff, and the sports science, and the biomechanics—all those things that you know that Arnold never had access to—these guys do.
4: Well, you're, you're right, and I think that's con- that's contributed to the fact that there's a lot more of them proper athletes, if you like,
5: mm. and they're certainly
4: athletes more than the, most of them were back in the day. But, but here's the thing: that, the other point I was going to make about when you raised uh, Greg Norman. He's the perfect example of somebody who was the best player in the world for, for quite a period of his career. And he largely, or a good part of why he was able to, to separate himself from his competition was that the fact that he was such a magnificent driver of the mm. ball. The same with Ian Woosnam and, and the same with Nick Price. Those guys, the part of their, they were all number one in the world at a time when the driving made a difference. Now it's, it's less significant because... The art of driving at the top level has largely been lost. All these guys are, are great drivers. The, the drivers they use now <clears throat> are so forgiving that they can all swing at close to 100% and just smash the ball. But it's back in the day, as you said, with the, the latter balls and, and persimmon clubs. If you swung at 100% and you didn't catch it right off the middle, it was going to be off the charts somewhere. You were going to lose your ball, maybe.
5: Mm-hmm. Now
4: that that's, the, the, you can hit the ball almost anywhere on the club face. And, and get it out there somewhere, especially if you've got the, the technique that these guys at the top level have. So that is one of the, another great sadness for me is, that, is the art of the driving has been lost at the top
2: level. And further to that, mm. Huggy, and I want to take you to task a here, Andy, mm. the, what Huggy referred to before with Nick Colshart's uh, not having, not being able to hit the high draw there and hold it against the wind, the ball just does not spin mm. as, it, as nearly as much. The spin rates are just so far down on what they used to be. It's brilliant technology, and we applaud all the companies for getting through this technology. But if the ball was to actually spin again, and Dustin Johnson reached down and tried to hit a 370-yard drive, mm. and he made a hint of an error, yeah. it's not going to miss by five yards. It's going to miss by 35 yards. And it'll make him think twice about doing it. And I, you know, that's what we need. We so, don't. We don't want people to stand on the tee thinking I can, I can make a horrendous error here, and still just pitch it out to the front of the green and chip and putt for a birdie.
1: I agree with that. So, a question to all of you. And you go first, John. Should we have, Do we need a pro ball, and do we need a club handicapper's ball? I mean, he, this is not an. Un, this is not an un, unprecedented conversation. that's taken place in the past, but. You, you try and sell. You try and sell that to a twelve handicapper or a sixteen handicapper somewhere, anywhere in the world, and say so you can't use that ball anymore. You're going to use a ball now that is so more, so much more penal. That every time you hit a bad shot, which is what most of us do most of the time, uh, you're going to be in massive trouble. I mean, how, how will that, how will that sell go down to the club players all over the world?
4: Well, I, I'm not proposing. I don't think anybody is that the club player that you and I should. Not be using the ball that we're using right now.
1: Mm.
4: That's exactly what we should be using because, it's, as, as Hazy just pointed out, it's, it's so forgiving. It doesn't go sideways like it, like the balls used to do. And that's the ball that you and I should be playing with. Mm. But that's not the ball that somebody with a, a you know a great athlete, as you just pointed out, or with a great technique. I mean, they don't need that. They, they need to be challenged a bit more. And as Hazy says, that the, one of the another great tragedy of this whole nonsense is that the ball, not because it doesn't go sideways, when was the last time, you know, Watson might be the only, you know, example in the modern game where he actually shapes shots, and even he, you know, he seems to be struggling with that now, but when, when was the last time you saw somebody out there playing golf like Seve Ballesteros or Lee Trevino? I mean, it's now become, I mean, I, my, my view is that golf at its very best is an art. It's not a science. But we're so far down the road now, of making it a science, that we're losing the art, the artistic part of the game. And to me, I grew up watching guys like Trevino and Seve, and was drawn to the game because of those guys. And again, we're, we're losing all that. And it's uh, to me, it's uh, such a great
5: shame.
3: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. There, I think at the elite end, it's become a really one-dimensional sort of sort of game. But the catch is, when we're trying to grow participation, and I'll come from that angle. We need to try and make the game a little bit easier and p- potentially the technology has achieved that uh, but maybe now we do need to think about handicapping that at a, at a point because we need to encourage growth but we also don't want to lose the art of, of the game
2: and for my for what it's worth Andy, I, I'm in theory I'm against bifurcation but in practice here it's the only way we can get through this and I think it should extend not only to the ball but back to uh, I, I don't I don't want uh, anchored Putters at any by any means. Don't get me wrong here, but I think p- people should be allowed to to pretty much do what they want if they're playing in handicap competitions. Because after a while, the handicap will take care of whatever advantage you have. Anyhow, mm-hmm. I, at elite level, there's no I have got no love at all for anything anything to do with anchoring. But if it's if you've got the yips and you you know you're off twenty three at uh, you know double, I, then. I don 't care what you're using, yeah, you know yeah. the handicap will sort you out, so I, I'm, you know, I think bifurcation has arrived in my mind it's time.
1: Huggy, some of the numbers coming out of Aaron Hills you know preempt and make us have these sorts of conversations and we're delighted that you've got up early in the morning to be part of the conversation with us. Can I just ask you one on a slight well, on an unrelated topic before we let you go I was going to get to it later on, but um, now that you're here. Danny Willett withdraws um, after the opening round with an 81. Um, he seems to be, you know, all sorts of strife at the moment with his back, and I don't know whether there are issues outside of that. He's certainly challenging anyone who suggests that there might be. We know about the caddy issue, you know, four or five weeks ago. Um, you're a lot, you're a lot closer to the European players than we are. Where's Where's Danny Willett at at the moment, John? Well,
4: he's, as you pointed out, I mean, he seems to be a little bit lost. Um, his the, the back thing is is an ongoing issue that's all that's been with him his whole almost his whole life he seems to have a you know just a. there's nothing much they can do about it he's always just got to to watch what he does with his back but uh, clearly mentally he's he's lost incredible level of confidence um i spoke to a couple of guys who work with him his agents last week and they said that he's he's working harder now than he's ever worked which is maybe not the right approach Mm. But um, aside from the back thing, um, he's certainly not the player he was um, a year ago. I've always been a big fan of Danny Willett's game. Um, I like that early set thing that he does in in his backswing, and then basically all you have to do is turn. I mean, that that kind of makes sense to me. It seems quite simple. So from that aspect, that hasn't changed. And I watched him on the range last week before he played his his opening round, and he was killing it on the range. So um, the 81 game was a bit of a shock to me. Um, but obviously, the the problem is confidence more than anything, and, and add that to the the physical aspect of his back. Um, but um, I don't know. He's got he's he's gone down a long way. <coughs> he's slipping outside. He's dropping like a stone. <coughs> excuse me in the in the world rankings. And I'm not sure that uh, maybe the best thing for Danny Willett might be two or three months away from the game just to have a break. He's got a a, a little baby at home and another one on the way. So um, he's got other things
2: to worry about in his life, and maybe that, maybe that's where he should be right now. You Huggy, a uh, hundred and eighty degree turn here. We're, we're blessed with Joe Charlton's presence, and I believe you, you and her, you know, struck up a very cordial friendship on the links of uh, Fife. As- is that right? I mean, jo, when we told Joe that you were coming on last night, she just smiled ear to ear. It was incredible, the love she had for you.
3: I said, you're a very brave man letting me on the links at, at Muirfield. Very, very brave. Ahead of your time. Well, well the,
4: be- <laughs> yeah, the best aspect of that for me was that, I think, were you the only girl in that group that was there?
3: Yes, yes.
4: Yes. Well, that was the great irony for, of me, for me was the, the fact that I was able to take the only girl in the group to play at Muirfield, which... Um, wasn't the, the norm at the time. I think all the, all the boys must have been a bit jealous. But they, yeah. was, they were super was jealous. A,
3: at the time I was yeah, staying, I think with six boys. Now, so.
4: Yeah, you,
5: I,
3: I was pleased
1: I was able to do that. Hey, Huggy, hopefully it won't be the last time we hear your voice um, on this podcast. Uh, hopefully next time you're in a more time-friendly part of the world and we don't ask you to get up at uh, 1.30 in mm-hmm. the morning to have a chat to us. We oh, really- no, the, the,
4: this was... Playing
1: jet lag's a wonderful thing. Thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Huggy. Thanks, Huggy.
6: No problem. Nice to see
1: you. John Huggan joining us on Inside the Ropes.
6: Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au.
0: Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home
1: and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Uh, great to have John Hugan talking US Open with us. Um, the way the tournament played out. The winner was pretty emphatic in the end. I mean, it was uh, you say what you like about how far he hits the ball, but in the end, the 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 power, the effortless power that he seemed to be generating was it was it was pretty awesome.
2: He's phenomenal, and what I really like, as opposed to our good friend Grayson Murray, who's you know going to become a hot what topic a goose. on this uh, podcast over the months ahead. But we're not going to talk about what he wrote this no, week. No, we're day. not. We're, we're definitely no not doing that. No. no, but you know he, he's actually taken his trade to other parts of the world to hone it. And yep, you know on. we can say we want about power. That's irrelevant. He was the best player there for the week. Uh, he had a couple of contenders pretty late on. Who you know he fought off. Uh, I thought he was. Absolutely stunning in the back nine holes and I heard a pretty revealing thing with Tim Roseford afterwards who said what he's been going through mentally with his coaches is that he gets himself into a position and for the last three or four years on the back nine with you know nine to play of the 72, he's thought about where he is and tightened up and not started He's defending his position. This time he's got there and gone, right, I need birdies. I need to make this happen. And the par putt that he ran in on 13 mm-hmm. was clearly the kickstart of what happened on 14, 15, and 16. And that, that's a phenomenal achievement to make those birdies. Now beautiful putts, the perfect holding speed, maybe a bit of an over. Dead
1: center. Dead center. The time, yeah. In
2: the US Open, and he's he's had Matsuyama pushing. He's had Harmon who wouldn't go away. He's had Fowler who was hanging around, and he's just gone, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And, and I full credit to him because he's actually won it – uh, with a great score, and he was the best player of the week. And I don't care what people say about even Parnell we've had this battle the last few weeks, but that was just great golf, really tremendous golf, some of the best we've seen in a major for a while.
1: His ability to not let the moment get on top of him, Joe, and you've played you know, elite-level amateur golf. Not yeah. a US Open, no, though, not a but us thanks, open thanks but, yet, but, yet, but, but you've been in that much more than Hazy and I have ever been in. We've been gee, I'm about to shoot par here for a Wednesday afternoon. I've got to make a five-up the last to get 36 points on the board here. But that's a pressure that all of us, but not in a different, multiple strategies away from what Brooks Kapka Kepka was dealing with. To stay in the moment the way he did, not let it get too big, that was unbelievably impressive.
3: Yeah, totally. Completely clutch. And I suppose it's old saying that I used to always say to myself, keep it simple, stupid, hmm. um, and really just focus on that moment, that second, that that part, that iron shot and the like. And he just nailed that bit by bit by bit. And the momentum built yep. and the confidence obviously grew at the latter end of that, that last um, nine holes. And he he just... He rose to the rose to the top.
1: So what do we say, you know, about the Australian wash-up? Only one makes the cut, um, and there was some, you know, there was some train wrecks along the way. What what do we say about? Well,
2: the, I actually thought Wade Wade Ormsby and Nick Flanagan in particular put in reasonably solid yep, efforts and yep. paid the price for a couple of holes. But I think they'd if they could go around again at the next major championship, I think they'd both put in a better achievement again and maybe even make the cut. I thought they were pretty impressive mm. given what the odds they were confronting.
1: Could you believe what Jason Day was doing in the first round?
2: No, and, and, you know, it's 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 super disappointing uh, on a course that, realistically, he's got the same tools as Brooks Kepka mm. or, or Dustin Johnson. And and say what you want about uh, his back or whatever, that was just a flat, flat performance. Um, hopefully, he's um, got the capacity to turn it around. But it, I think it's almost like a, you know, football or whatever code you follow around Australia here, if you haven't got that pre-season – in under your belt, it's starting to look like it's a, you know not a waste of a season because he's still got plenty of time to do it. But he, he's he's coming from behind the eight ball, in my opinion. That was for him to make a couple of triple bogeys on a course that really should suit him down to the ground was uh, really disheartening.
1: He seemed to find if you can you know we've all played rounds of golf where you can find bad luck. It just it just follows you. You know you get bare in the face of bunkers and you get unplayable lies and whatever. It did seem. That there were, I don't know how many occasions, but probably three or four times in that round where he just seemed to be in shocking, like it was a bad shot he played, but they they ended up in awful positions. Everything that kind of could go wrong for him seemed to go wrong for him in that opening round. He's, Am he's, I cutting him too much slack by saying that?
2: Uh, a little. I, th- I think on holes like the fourth and the first round where he had his first triple bogey. I mean, the ball was actually on the green. His approach, his second to the par four, mm. it was on the green for quite a long time um, and it, before it trickled down the hill. But we've all seen, and this is what I admire as a, as a mug watching the pros and, and elite-level players like yourself, Joe, is you once you've made a mistake, you don't compound it. And by trying to play two or three flop shots from yeah. ankle-deep rough... Uh, you've just got to you've just got to take that out of your game once, maybe, but don't do it twice or three times. And you know that's to me the biggest flaw of his game. There, if he has a bogey, mentally he's still in the game. A triple's really hard, and then your second triple, it's over.
3: Yeah, totally. Co- course management. I think that's what we what you're hitting hitting there, hazy. And sometimes your ego might say one thing, but common sense is another thing. Mm. So, but potentially he could have saved himself and and made the cut and. And it would have been a different story for him. Yeah.
2: And Adam Scott to me, Andy, was another one who was flat. I mean, realistically, his first round, 72, even past 72, flatted him because for three and a half hours he was toast, but he mm. made four or two birdies and an eagle to sort of get back into position and then just drifted on the Friday. It was, I don't know what you thought of it, but I thought it was, again, a pretty disappointing show.
1: Well, I thought what he was seven off the, after the opening round, he was seven back and the four under through the last five, I thought he could go on and win this and mm. he'll look back at those last five holes and he'll say that was when I won the championship because I could have – anything could have happened. I could have gone two or three the other way and been you know, 11 or 12 and cooked. Mm. But he sort of played himself – he didn't play himself out of the tournament at the end of that opening round. And you were just watching the body language of him, I thought, oh, he's, he's back in this. You know, You could see that he was happy and comfortable and – He was enjoying, you know, the fight back. And you thought, well, this is a great springboard to take into the second round. I thought, I can't remember what the timelines were, but I think he played early the second round, so most of us were probably asleep over here. And I was fully expecting to wake up and see a 67, 68 alongside Adam Scott's name. He'd be two or three under, four under, and be within three or four at the halfway mark and look out because his form's been... You know, it's been encouraging enough to suggest that there's something big on the horizon. I reckon without necessarily winning anything recently. And I was really disappointed when I woke up and saw the seventy five alongside his name and miscut after that second round. It sort of, it kind of came a bit out of, a bit out of left field.
2: Yeah, and and to me again, it's a course that should suit him in theory. The 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 three of the four par fives, depending on the wind, are probably within reach to him. Uh, or at least to get it around the fringe and Mm. get it up and down. So I don't know whether he just uh, couldn't take advantage of those because clearly he didn't play them as well as the people like Kepka and Matsuyama Um, or whether he's putting is at such a low ebb confidence wise, because mm. he seems to be striking the ball well and his new coach Matt Ballard has um you know got him on track there. I think he's actually, you know, striking it as well as he ever has. But uh, the scores just aren't coming and again we hope that sort of turns around quickly.
1: Look look into the crystal ball before you get to Ewan Porter. Look into the crystal ball, where's Rory at? What what what's the rest of the Rory McElroy? He's not yet thirty, is he? Is he still yet to turn thirty, McElroy? I think he might be twenty nine out a guess. I should have checked that before he came on. He's done what he's done, and he's made millions and millions of dollars out of this game and already had multiple major championship success. But he misses the cut, you know, a tournament that probably should should have suited him again. Um, where's, where's McElroy at just at the moment, do you think?
3: I want to another little interesting fact. It was actually the first US Open since 1985 that the three favourites in Johnson, McElroy and Day missed the cut. So quite extraordinary that the pre-tournament favourites, none of them. So Rory, I mean, he's in good company there, obviously missing the cut, um, in a major um, since 1985.
2: Yeah, it was incredible. I don't, to, your, to your point, Andy, I, um, he's come out overnight and revealed that you know he's been such a... He was a little skinny dude for such a long time and he's been pumping weights fiercely um, for years now and, and his body shape's remarkably changed over that period he's come out overnight and actually said you know I haven't been able to lift a weight with my injuries this year mm. so it's clearly hampered him i, I i'm don't think he's spent force at all, but I do think you know it might even come to the point where he has to just uh, hang him up, which is a really hard thing to say when you're just starting now to get into the grind of the not the grind but the the pleasurable part of the season mm. with the majors ahead of you. You've Just had one, another couple coming up, and you know he'd be thinking right now this is my chance to make a. And in reality, maybe it's better for him to rest and get better mm. uh, and come back in 2018 fully fit and raring to go again.
1: Weights and golf. <laughs> I know they're much better now at knowing, you know, what sort of specific routines and gym sessions and workouts and weights you need to do to get yourself right. But you know, it's a there's something delicate about this, I reckon. The goal or the pressure that the golf swing puts on the body and what is required from a physical preparation perspective, I reckon, you've got to get that you better get that right.
3: Yeah, no no doubt. I think stronger people do it better uh, but to a point mm. and I think like Tiger Woods is obviously the perfect example of that and perhaps Rory is now will we'll follow his progress for the next um, six months but yeah it's a, it's a balancing act, your, mm-hmm. your body is your greatest asset mm. and there is probably no fast rule um, Every everyone's different, we can ask Sue I'm sure her preparation's totally different to what Rory's would be and that might be you know, really in- interesting debate for us to have.
2: And he's 28, Andy. He's 28. 28, so, young, so right? I mean, he's got a lot of he's years ahead of him here, <laughs> so he is a pup, but that's uh, a <laughs> very good age, so I, I believe young Miss Charlton here might be 28 too, Andy. So... Don't
1: look day over 24, Joe.
2: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he, he's um, clearly got a lot of time ahead of him, yeah. so it might be that he needs to uh, just put it back a gear maybe mm. for a little while and get it right, because Joe says if you ha- without that body you can't compete on the tour these days. And Andy, just before we finish up with Rory McIlroy, a bit of a classic uh, Twitter feud during the week with the inimitable, I'll say that because that's the nicest thing I could say, Steve Elkington, uh, who's, I think, becoming more renowned for tweets rather than his golfing exploits (laughs) these days, which is sad, but it's true, and I'm not sure what he sort of consumes there in Texas these days to make these (laughs) tweets possible, but... He's reached out to Rory in a very, uh, well, unscientific manner, let's say. And he said, Rory is so bored playing golf. Without Tiger, the threshold is probably four majors and 100 mil in the bank. Which is, I mean, nonsense as it is. But Rory, who's magnificent on social media, doesn't mind giving someone a clip and straightening them up. Straight back at him, more like 200 mils, straight back to elk. Not bad for a bored, in inverted commas, 28-year-old. And plenty more where that came from. And he's actually tweeted out a picture a picture of his own Wikipedia page <laughs> with all the results right. that he's had with his wins and everything. And, you know, there was such tremendous uh, outpouring of support for him there and just another canning of elk.
1: Well, social media can be, as we've seen in golf this week, Hazy and Joe, social media for golfers can be a fantastic thing and it can be a not-so-fantastic thing. And we're not going to discuss the content of Grayson Murray's social media contributions this week. But if you want to go and find out for yourself, um, you can find out what Grayson Murray's been up to on social media this week. And, uh, yeah, as I said, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. I, I,
2: I'm getting to the point. Like, I'm happy, like, if for example, if uh, Brandel Chambly would have wanted to come on with this, I'd love it. But I'd be getting to the point of we'd have to change the rating of the show if Grayson Murray ever deigned to come on with this. <laughs> I think we would have to go a few different categories on the iTunes store or the – what is it? The Apple Podcast Store these days. Apologies. <laughs> the Apple the Podcast Store, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's the one.
5: That's
0: the one. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your Golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures while you're on the site check out the daily golf results at your club view our course index for up-to-date ratings read the latest golf news from home and abroad listen to australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game it's everything a golf tragic could want visit golf.org.au today the home of australian golf Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes.
1: There's a lot of other golf being played around the world at the moment, and there's a lot to look forward to, um, particularly on the ladies' side of the game. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't know how important it is for a young professional player to bank an $85,000 check, but I would imagine that when you do that at your most recent professional start joe hazy night at and the age of
3: 21 at the age of
1: 21 i imagine that must give you an enormous confidence boost and that's exactly what sue o did and she's turning up in arkansas i always want to say arkansas when i see it but i'll say arkansas and she's been good enough to join us inside the ropes g'day sue thanks for joining us on the show hey yeah no problem good to
7: talk back to people back home
1: how? Be honest with us. After I don't know where the money's gone through to your account yet, you, and I don't feel like it's unseemly talking to a professional golfer about money. They earn because that's what you're in it for. You're in to win championships, and you're in it to make money. Yep. Has the money gone through to your bank account yet? I don't think so, but I've like
7: everybody that I need to pay from that week
1: <laughs> oh, the only reason I asked that question is because if 85 large jumped into my bank account I'd be just looking at it or I'd be for every down minute I had I'd be going just let me just go on the combank app and have a look oh doesn't that look nice
7: yeah but like people don't understand that like what you see on the money list is like not what gets banked into your account. Kind of like, you know, they take a bit out and then you <laughs> pay people and then you kind of do like, I don't know, expenses and it's not really like the same amount of dollars that you actually see on the um, money list. Well, that is <laughs> a bit of a, a reality I check. I'm happy with
5: how I played. I bet you
3: were. I bet you are. That's right. But that is a bit of a reality check though for us back at home. Run us through, like, what what is the, you know, week in, week out sort of, what does it look like being a, to a professional?
7: Um. Well, I think it's very different for people from outside of the US. Um, whereas, like, just Americans playing at home, because firstly, they like, if they have a week off, then they can just go home, and it's really home for them. But like for me, it's like a week off, and I've set a, I've been living in Dallas for a year now um but it's kind of like not really a home home for me yet i'm trying to make it a little more homey but it's tough when you're only there like 18 weeks of the year and traveling for um 25 to 28 weeks of the year and then whatever's left is i'm at home and just seeing friends so
3: have you got um, a support a crew different. with you, Sue? Have you got a support, you know, team, coach? How often do you see him? Um, anyone travelling with you week on week?
7: Uh, no, just, uh, yeah, mum's Mom, been travelling for a little bit, but um, Cameron, I've been working, he's my coach, Cameron McCormick, and he's been, um, he's he's set in Dallas. That's probably why, that's the main reason why I'm in Dallas, Um. He comes to the majors um, and then I just talk to him frequently. I just send him videos and just check in with him a lot.
2: So, Sue, I wanted to ask you about Cam actually. So, you, I mean, while well, we were all uh, tucking into our Christmas roasts last year, you were basically on the plane and back to Dallas and trying to grind out something pretty important for your golf swing, I believe.
7: Yeah, I, um,. <laughs> I only spent, like, two weeks back home before I went back to Dallas, and um, it, was, it was cold. It was really, really cold, and it snowed, um, and the day it snowed, I saw Cameron at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but you can really feel your toes, like, just going numb. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the heater was on at 90 like 92 degrees Fahrenheit um, and it's, and that's not enough like when you're putting it's okay because it was like kind of indoors facility but when you hit balls like once the shutter goes up it's like freezing Sue
5: so that's
2: and 34 degrees people this. would be croaking in England
7: <laughs> <laughs> well but um, no it was good I, I got a lot of work done and I needed to do some work on my swing. Um, and just I, I, I thought if I put in a lot of work at the, in the off-season, um, it would be a lot easier to um, make any changes or adjustments when I was playing this season. So that's why I went over. And it was worth it.
2: And you obviously feel right now, having come off a fourth in... Uh, at the Major Classic, there that you, that's all starting to pay off now. Like it's it's been w- worth the effort that you put into it, and the you know the, the perhaps downtime from Christmas until now in terms of results.
7: Uh, yeah. I mean, it was only one week. It's actually been kind of a slow start for me um, after Australia, where I played well, um, and I really wanted to play well in Australia, <clears throat> and I played well there, and then it kind of just uh, went a bit flat and. Um, but, you know, just I, – I didn't feel like it was too far away but just couldn't put a good tournament together. And, you know, and last week I did. And with, like, three majors coming up in the next five weeks, um, hopefully I'll just keep the streak going.
1: So, so, so you talk about, uh, you know, the, te- the technical aspects of changing a swing and you want to get that kind of ingrained as quickly as you possibly can. Are you at the point now where, when you're standing over, you know, a ball and you're about to play a shot, that your head is clear? You're not You're not thinking about the mechanics? You're not thinking about, you know, where things are supposed to be and how it's supposed to feel? Are you at that stage with this kind of new swing of yours now? Um, yeah,
7: you try and be in that state, like, you know, no matter where your technique is, I think, um... But I still like to have like one or two thoughts in my head, um, just to go back to that, whether it's a feeling or, um, usually a feeling in the swing that I like to get. So, um, just, just work on that for the week. And it changes so much from just day to day, week to week. Um, so just stick to one or two things for the week. Um, and like this week, I'm working on something a little different to last week. <laughs> So, it's just a little bit of variation, but um, still trying to create you know, a, the same ball flight and really good contact um, for just the consistency of the iron play and then just hitting the ball down the middle of the fairway. It's good. To that'll, set work. Myself
1: up. that'll work.
3: <laughs> that, that yeah, that'll work. That will work. Fairways and greens. Yeah. So, so, it sounds like you're in a really good <laughs> place. Well, obviously, with three majors in the um, not so far distant future. Talking about majors, I wanted to ask you: given that the men's US Open was just on last week, and I, I remember in 2014 when was at Pinehurst, and the men and the women were together. Have there been talks about this rolling rolling out again in the in the near future? I haven't caught up with it, but you're you're obviously closer to all the action over there. Like men and women playing together. Yes. Controversy. Um, not
7: not not really that I've heard of um i know that you know the lpga and the pga tour is like working together but i don't really know exactly what that means um yeah i mean it would be great concept like a like the Vic Open. it works great um and i think people would be you know a lot more interested you get both side of the game they're really powerful and you know like 300, 400-yard drives, (laughs) Then a lot of people, just normal amateurs can can relate more to our game, um, because we just hit it at a similar distance, um, and we probably hit our hybrid straighter than the guys, so (laughs) that's probably, yeah, I think it's really good. Not not that I've heard of, like, nothing Mm. has been set into plan or anything.
2: So when you were, you know, just heading towards turning pro, and you know, we used to watch you in Marvel, and you were just making birdies for fun. Do you feel like you've got that freedom, or it's coming on the LPGA tour that you can play with the same sort of freedom that you had as a, you know, dynamic world-beating world number one amateur, and and just you know, make them for fun and make other people sort of look at you and go, wow. Yeah, um, I think that's
7: really important to like keep reminding yourself why you. Well, for me, anyway, why I started to play, um, you know, was always, you know, having fun on the golf course and um, trying to b- play my best and hopefully, you know, and that comes down to a win. Um, but sometimes when you play week after week, it gets a little, like, repetitive um, and it just gets a little, you know, just, just old, the just same old stuff, but um and and it can kind of get draining with the tour life when you're just constantly like go 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 um you know after the week's over you're like on a plane and then you go to the next place and it's just a brand new week again um you don't really get that time off unless you actually take a week off um but yeah i mean i try and i try and keep myself a little grounded and just you know just go out there and just
2: hopefully, see how many birdies I can get. Sue, so you're a pretty proud Aussie, and uh, you're coming around to a year removed from the Olympic experience that you had down in Rio. News just recently that it was going to go on to 2024, at least, of the Olympic experience. Is that something you've got in your mind yeah. to, to play for, You know, in a, not only into Tokyo, but wherever it might be the next time, might be Paris or Los Angeles, uh, seem to be the front runners. Is that something that inspires you, given your love for the green and gold? Oh,
7: for sure. I mean... I, you know, it's still four years away, but for 2020 and it's definitely, you know, on my goals, like top of the list to make that team. Um, but I was, you know, like, I, it was such a big, um, like, surprise to me that I got to play the Olympics last year. So I didn't get to go to the opening ceremony or the closing ceremony But if I ever get a... You know, if I get a chance to play the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, then I am definitely going to, like, the whole experience because I just felt like I just... You know, I didn't get the whole experience. It was too... um, It was too quick. Like, I I didn't get to experience too much of it. So that's my goal for 2020 if I get in.
1: Well, we hope you... Wearing the green and gold again, and well, I think most of us, around here probably think it will be for quite some time. So, um, what do you miss most about Australia just before we let you go? I didn't realize it had been that long since you'd sort of relocated over to Texas. Is there something you most miss about home?
7: Just, just uh, everything. Just people, um, my friends, um, just being home, and just lay, just chilling out. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, just, just, just you know when you just go home and you just
3: kind of out? You're at
1: home, yeah, 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 yeah. Really I get
6: miss. it.
3: I believe yeah, a little piece of home might be it. coming over to visit you soon. So, who would that yeah, be? Yeah,
6: I keep
7: trying to go home, but whenever I have a two-week break, it's like in August, and the weather's terrible in Melbourne in August, <laughs> so just not that appealing, like especially coming from the UK when the weather's probably going to be, you know, not as good and um, just having four weeks of, like, bad weather is just kind of not really appealing. But um, but then Dallas would be, like, too hot, so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. But, yeah, I mean, actually when some of the caddies, like Tom Watson, who caddies for Soyan, Whenever he goes home, he was home, um, like, a couple of weeks ago, and he brought me, like, three tubs of Vegemite, because <laughs> I have Vegemite on toast with eggs every day for breakfast. Um, so, yeah, that was nice.
1: Hey, good luck in Arkansas this week. Congratulations again on, you know, your tied fourth at uh, the major, as uh, Hazy was talking about before. And uh, good luck in the next month and a half, Sue. Uh, you know, you're obviously in a you know, pretty good place and we can't wait to see what, um, what you do uh, as the major championships kind of roll through the LPGA or the, the, women's, uh, the women's season. Good luck and thanks for joining us on Inside the Robes. Thank you. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Good on you. Suo joining us. G'day,
0: I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf, Australian Golf's national junior program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie
1: stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. There's a whole lot of other stuff we should talk about regarding um, what some Australians are doing overseas, particularly in the women's game in America, which we'll get to in a moment, Hazy, but... this is the, st- the national podcast that most of you are listening to. Don't forget that there, there are state versions, uh, of course, of Inside the Ropes right around Australia. We sort of focus on what's happening in the backyard uh, with golf in the various states around Australia. And go to golf.org.au forward slash Inside the Ropes or Google State's website if you want to have a listen to the state specific. Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at Inside the Ropes. Of course, we're going to have a little feature in a couple of weeks where I think you'll be back from a week off, Hazy, and Clates will be back while you're still over in um, <laughs> over in Thailand. Thailand, <laughs> uh, it's uh, painful to actually mention that. Mm. Um, so we're going to invite you to send through some questions. Um, as of now, actually, send through your questions to the Twitter handle at Inside the Ropes. Anything you want Hazy and Clates to um, consider and respond to on the show in a fortnight's time. Um, send them through and the best six or seven questions that come through, uh, we'll put to yeah. the learned panelists inside
2: the underscore ropes, just yes, in case.
1: Thank you very much. I forget about the underscore every now and again, <laughs> inside the underscore ropes with a little at sign in front of it. Um, Hannah was just spoken to Sue yeah. and she, you know, she's onward and upward and sounds like she's, her game's in pretty good nick. We've mentioned – I don't think there's been too many pods of the five that we've done, including this one. We haven't mentioned Hannah Green, and it be, would be remiss of us not to mention her again this week. She's posted another fantastic result over on the Symmetra Tour.
3: Yeah, spot on. Week on week, she just keeps building. No surprises with, mm. with a Greenie. This is absolutely no surprise. But tied third, 10 under. So she's sitting fifth on the the, um, the rankings at the moment. And that's where she's just got to hold herself so she can then filter on to the, the big league. But, yeah, no, it's great work. It's it's wonderful to see for such a nice girl um, and, a, and a top player doing so well.
1: And is it top five that gets you an LPGA Tour card? Top 10, top, is it? Yeah, top, top 10. 10. Yeah, and,
2: you know, I think the hallmark of a uh, really pro's pro is you're You know you're up and about every week and that's exactly what Hannah's doing. She's hasn't done anything special probably since she won Sarah Bay in, in April but she's still making money and churning out results and climbing the rankings and I, I think that's just a great testament to who she's become as a player
1: mm. Uh, three major tours. Of course, we've just spoken to Sue oh about the Arkansas Championship. She'll be teaming up alongside. There's Australians playing all over the place this week. Minji Lee, Sarah Jane Smith, Catherine Halkirk, and Sarah Kemper all turning it over there. There's 10 Australians turning up in the Travellers on the PGA Tour this week. Ten. And at all different ends of the spectrum, you know, Dale Leishman, Ogilvie, we spoke to Jeff last week, and we now know that he's entering in a really big stretch for him, as he tries to get himself back into automatic exemption and hang on to his PGA Tour card, it's a big sort of two-and-a-bit-month stretch for Ogilvy.
2: And we neglected to mention Mark Leishman before in relation to the US Open. Uh, great effort Didn't for him. He, him. Yeah, no, That's we disgusting. missed out on him. The only Aussie yeah. to make the cut. And he, and he probably was... Uh, he's finished T27, I think, from mm. memory, something like that. And he's uh, just had a really solid week, a couple of holes he'd like to take back, and a cold run for about half an hour with a putter. Uh, on the Sunday, probably cost him any chance of a, you know, a really ser- serious paycheck. But well,
1: he's five over in his last twenty-five holes, and prior to that, he'd got himself into the mix. midway way through these like he's he was he was like on the leaderboard halfway through that third round. So he was putting himself right in the frame, and then it all just kind of stopped working.
2: Yeah, the putter just sort of been mm. cold on him. So, but this week, back to a course where he's actually one previously, so I'd expect him with his good form and, and familiarity at that track to uh, to shine again. But really important week again, and we'll say this every time they do get a run, for Ryan Ruffles and Brett Colletta. Spot on. Uh, so Brett's actually took taken a break off the, the McKenzie Tour in Canada last week to prepare better for this. He had a bit of a rush around the US Open and going to Jack's place when we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. Think uh, expect to see him go well again, and, and Ryan Ruffles is, uh, if we exclude Jamaica, coming in in pretty decent form. So, um, that was a tough call for him down in Montego Bay last week. Got just butchered by lightning and rain and stuff. So, uh, hopefully, he'll just uh, make that a blip on the radar and push on.
1: Well, I know we're obsessed with hashtag Golden Era, but we shouldn't necessarily lose sight of the old blokes who are. There's a bunch of old timers who are turning up down there as well, and they'll be very much, you know. They'll be keen to contend and you know do what they've been doing for a long time, pampling Percy, Chalmers and Appleby are all it up as well down there alongside Brett Druitt. So a lot of Australian, is a huge Australian contingent team up on the Peugeot Tour this week.
2: Well, In particular, I'd like to see Cam Percy do yeah, something special. I mean, not only is he a ripping bloke, but he's shown glimpses this year that his best is still right up there. And I think if he can, hopefully we'll talk to him in a couple of weeks, and if he's got a back injury behind him, And he can play his best golf. This is a course that can actually he can make some cash on. I reckon. So I'd love to see that happen. And The
1: BMW International over in the European Tour. Five, six Australians. Uh, This is the tournament that I think this one in Germany, right? This is the tournament. This is the one that about seven or eight years ago. I reckon it would have been now. That Willett beat Fraser in yeah. that three or four hole playoff and no one had heard of or I had certainly was looked like the coming out for Danny Willett. We've spoken to Huggy about, you know, where he's at at the moment with his game. But I remember sitting up late at night watching that and that was uh, thrilling. It just kept it going and like the guy who was sort of seemingly out of the hole kept making unbelievable shots to stay alive and it yeah. just it went into about a fourth or fifth playoff hole, yeah right? that's right and fading light there yeah, on that course yeah.
2: it was a, a monumental playoff so yeah good one good tournament and you know another deep field uh, i think after basically a week off for the major championship they've basically come back together so a really good field there
1: so where are we at with the british amateur
2: um the British amateur we're recording this on Thursday morning and yep. this is arguably the toughest tournament in Australian golfers <laughs> golf riders uh, calendar to actually cover because you know they play from sun up to sundown it's all overnight it happens really quickly uh, as we speak here right now we've got four alive in the top 32 we had uh seven in the 64 eight made the match play section a phenomenal achievement Um if we could get one or two to keep pushing through, maybe even all four, who knows, be one of the great achievements in, in recent Australian amateur golf history. And that's saying something because we've done so much in the last three or four years. So as we stand, Minwoo Lee, Zach Murray, Dylan Perry, and Harrison Endicott, our highest-ranked player, all punching along beautifully at Royal St.
1: George's. This is right in your wheelhouse, these events, over in that neck of the woods too, isn't it?
3: Yeah, no, I've been lucky enough to play at St. George's, yeah. actually, being an all-men's club. Well, it was about three years ago at the, the British Amateur.
2: You're a barrier buster. we kicking the door even, down yeah, We exactly. even
3: had to use the men's toilets because I didn't have women's toilets. Get that. That is right. We had to use a men's toilet. The clubhouse does not have a female toilet in the mm. That's a dis-
1: What a disgrace it, it that is. is. Oh,
2: it's, yeah. it, it's embarrassing. It's, but it's,
3: course aside, is awesome. Look, yeah. Lumps and bumps and it is a real test of your entire game. You've got to think... Think so much around that that track. Um, I don't know how Norman had his shot his course record there in, in the British Open, and yeah. it is unbelievably tough.
2: And it was the girls did really well on their tour of the UK recently. and Montana Strauss in particular mm. was someone who sort of stood up, um, perhaps more than she has previously. So that was fantastic to see. A couple of questions last week came to me on Twitter about Becky Kay and Karis Davidson, who hadn't actually been in the main tournament, the Women's British Amateur Championship. And uh, at the time, they were actually heading back from being in Scotland, or Becky had been, to to Korea. And they were teeing it up in the no lesser tournament than the Korean Open. Um, so, you know, just a yeah. phenomenal achievement to even get a start there for those two. Uh, they both played reasonably well early, but Karras made the cut. Becky sort of faded away in the second round. Huge kudos to Karras Davidson against just a, a field, that continu- a tournament that continues to produce the elite players in the world like half this field is just going to be superstars within five years and she made the cut did really well shot a 73 in the third round was sort of vaguely in the mix and had a, a disappointing final round admittedly but i i couldn't be more proud of what she's done there from an australian women's golf perspective to take that next step from amateur up into professional so easily she's still amateur but uh again such a high quality field great effort by karis
3: and she's on the path very soon to be going to tour school over in Asia, isn't she, I yeah,
2: believe? she is. And I, I think, I mean, obviously they'd like to get onto the LPGA at some point, but I actually think she's also considering staying in our time zone, just like the men. So, you know, if she plays in Japan or plays in Korea or whatever, this is a really solid first step for her to take.
1: Uh, going back to the men's game and staying in Asia, are you guys aware of what's going on over in China? Is there any, what, is there any like bright light that's being shone on the kind of future of the Chinese tour? Do, is anybody... any Got anything to sort of illuminate the rest of us regarding that? Well,
3: I haven't heard a great deal about it, but I understand that they've broken away from, from the PGA, the PGA yeah, have, Tour, yeah. which to me just defies common sense. And when are we going to see, again, a, a worldwide tour where the seasonality comes into play and the entire world are wrapped up into we, we all get to sell our best golf courses and, mm. and showcase our golf in, in our nations? It think- just seems that we're fracturing again. Yeah. By doing this,
2: I think we all want that, Joe. I couldn't agree with you more. But I think the politics of golf in China at the moment just making it too hard to deal with for the US side of things, Andy. Would be my belief. So, you know, whether it's you know when they're in the process of shutting down so many clubs there for political reasons, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a sensitive area. So, you know, all we can do there is just we've got two or three young guys uh, in particular uh, for me as a good friend, Dean Lawson, who's over yep. there. Um, punching way above his weight, and, and Bryden McPherson's going really well there too. So, you know, I think if we can get a couple of good results there, it's probably the best we can hope there.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the bottom line is, for, as far as I can work out, they got they might have 12 tournaments over there this year. Um, four of them might be co-sanctioned with other tours. That's the projection. But these guys are playing, and you mentioned Bryden McPherson, he's second on the order of merit over there after, I think only there's only been a handful of events, maybe even just one played so far. Um, So he's had a good early start there, but you might win that order of merit and at the end of it have no idea what um, status it gets you anywhere else or what doors get opened as a result of winning that. So they're massively up Mm. in the air over there, but it just underlines that there are, and there's a heap of Australians up there, not just Dan Lawson and Brian McPherson, there's Australians up there all over the place playing with the hope that, if they have a result that actually might mean something Mm. for them other than just you know pocketing some money from that particular event
2: and I know in speaking to Dean like he's actually been able to plot a path through a few Asian tour events and back onto the Australian tour when it's practical and and he's actually been able to mishmash together a good schedule Mm. uh, and again staying in our time zone which is perfect and while we're at this, kudos again to the Australian PGA Tour this week for announcing the New Zealand Open as being co-sanctioned Massive. by the Asian Tour. So not only is it a great tournament and a great chance for our our young guys to show their wares again on a world stage, but another chance to get a ticket onto a big tour. And you know, full kudos to the PGA of Australia for for uh, making that happen.
1: Yeah, he he couldn't agree more. Last one before we uh, wrap it up. Um, the PGA Tour announces this week uh, a more open, transparent drug policy. They now being an Olympic sport, and with the golf being extended at the Olympics, you know, by another Olympiad, uh, they must be WADA compliant, um, and they are going to be. There's been fair to say, there's probably been mixed uh, reaction to this amongst the golfing fraternity. That you know, performance enhancing drugs obviously would be um, would would all be notified of that, but now drugs of dependence are. Uh, Also, going to be uh, exposed if people who are breaching the drug code regarding that. If you want to be in the Olympic Games, you know, and you want to be, you know, part of the big show, if you still consider it the big show, then these are the things that you're just going to have to, you know, tread the line on, aren't you?
2: Uh, To me, this is um, long, long, long overdue. Mm. Um, If we've got nothing to hide, what's the problem? And if we, you know, if we have got something to hide and be worried about it collectively as a sport, well, let's let's address it. Mm-hmm. You know, the US tour has been, I would say, you know, had its head in the sand on this issue for, for a long time publicly. I don't think they've failed to address any issue behind closed doors. But as a public entertainment in a form of entertainment, I think you're entitled to know when players are missing for six months for something other than a sore thumb. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't want to cast any aspersions on anyone in particular, but clearly there's been some issues and, and speculation's no good for anyone. Mm-hmm. Facts are the key to hear. And, you know, if we want to play an Olympics, which we do, let's get fair dinkum. So, well done. Glad they made the move, even if it was a bit overdue.
1: Agree.
3: I totally agree, Yep. Address the issue.
0: Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at
1: home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Time now to talk golf uh, in South Australia, of course. And we've got a uh, – well, there's a, a – some families live and breathe again. We know that. And we're about to meet a family for whom uh, golf runs right through the very core of their uh, family DNA. I, I think we've got two of the four family members with us at the moment, Christine Burton and daughter Crystal Blum. Uh, girls, have we got you on the line? Uh,
5: yes, yeah.
1: we Welcome to Inside the Ropes. Um Christine, maybe you can go first. Tell us where you're at and tell us what you're doing in terms of your profession at the moment and how important golf's been to your family.
8: Okay, so um, my husband Graham and I took over the uh, lease of North Haven Golf Course uh, in Adelaide April last year. Um, So North Haven's a little public nine-hole course. And I guess this is as close as I'm likely to probably get to my... In gold dream, which was to own my own golf course. So um, <laughs> it's been hard work uh, taking a golf course from a very low base and lack of custom over the last 12 months and trying to resurrect it and build it back to where we think it could be and should be. Um, so uh, it's been a hard road for the last 12 months, but we feel like we're getting on top of it. So this has been the culmination, I suppose, of everything we've both done for the last 30-odd years in golf. Um, both Graham started as a greenkeeper at Grange Golf Club in Adelaide, one of the top four 36-hole complexes, and of course I've worked for my father there, John Burton, who was head pro for over 30 years as well. So that's where we learnt our trade, then travelled, travelled Europe and ended up back here working at to the ground. <laughs> it's in a magnificent position yeah. this golf course
2: North Haven I mean, out of harbour there near Port Adelaide you're in a prime position if you can get it up and running
8: Absolutely, I mean especially now we have so many cruise ships come into Adelaide, um, at least when they look now out of their bedroom windows and overlook the golf course, they're seeing a golf course that's actually quite inviting to come out uh, You know, and it's very easy walking lovely pleasant environment they can walk from there down along the along the harbour and um, down through the the sand and everything, down to Semaphore, and they can really not have to go anywhere else if they didn't want to when they get off the boat, which is great.
1: Crystal, we'll get to you in a moment, but I'm fascinated about this, Christine. It's a remarkable story. What sort of nick was the golf course in when you got there?
8: Um, without being too derogatory, really poor.
5: Mm.
8: <laughs> um, so... Unfortunately, the the fairways had lost a lot of their grass coverage. It had been, I'll call it unloved Mm. for the last two or three years and certainly no money spent in the last four or five years trying to, you know, make it what it could be. Um, It's one of those unfortunate things with a lot of public golf courses, I suppose, around Australia and where in the States you, you look at Uh, so many US Opens now are played on public golf courses and yet in Australia our public golf courses are seen as very second class um, without enough money being invested back into them so one of the one things we wanted to be able to do was actually we know it's never going to be uh, zero Augusta or anything but it would be really nice that people should be able to have affordable golf um, in pleasant surroundings with great service great facilities and that's what we're trying to produce here
1: it's a really admirable I'm inspired. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Crystal, given the fact that um, you are the product of these two people mm-hmm. who have committed their life to golf, did you have any other choice but to uh, uh, find kind of golf coursing through your veins? I mean, you'd become, um, you know, fine fine player, turned pro last year. Did you have any other options?
6: Um, yeah, I played like every sport imaginable growing up. Um, my brother's into athletics, so I suppose. There was definitely the option, but I suppose when you're good at something, you sort of stick with it.
1: Can you remember your earliest introduction? Like, can given the fact that golf would have always been around um, you from the moment you were born, can you remember your first actual interaction with the game? Uh,
6: not really. I was quite young, so I've just sort of heard stories. But basically, since I could walk, I think I had a golf club in my hand. So. Her father brought her, her first golf club to the hospital
5: the day she <laughs> Is that right?
8: We, we left the hospital on Father's Day and went to the golf club for Father's Day lunch. And <laughs> 19 days later, I was pushing her in a pram around the golf course playing golf again. So wow. she's not had any chance.
1: <laughs> See, th- even that, even that, Christine, I find fascinating because there, there would be golf courses around Australia. Um, and we're talking to you from Melbourne. There would be golf courses around Melbourne who would, there would be members at golf clubs who would frown at a uh, a mother with a baby in a pram playing golf. They, they just, they wouldn't cop it if the baby was to make a noise or it, they just wouldn't even like the look of it. Uh, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I
8: know exactly what you're talking about. It did, after a couple of years, there were certainly concerns from committee members and everything else because my husband, you know, Graham used to, Play first thing on a Wednesday and a Saturday morning comp down at Grange. We'd strap two car seats because my two children are only 16 months apart. We'd strap two car seats to the uh, golf cart. They'd sit with him playing golf. Uh, they'd then, when they went in for drinks afterwards, they'd be all the members or the boys that he played with would be trying to teach them how to crawl under the bar and pinch the chips from behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just good times and we were very fortunate that Our family um, and our uh, association with Grange Golf Club for so many years, we'd all grown up there as kids, and we'd both worked there for so long, we were probably very fortunate that we had as much freedom as we did, Um, and yeah, consequently, golf remained a part of our lives, just like it had before the kids, so... Graham might be able to actually pass a few He's walked into
1: the shop now having finished his first He might be able to pass a few comments about that as well. Oh, let us know when he's near the mic. I know joe has got a question she wants to...
3: Follow. Yeah, no, I think that's a great story again. Like, it's a game for life. Yeah. We don't celebrate that nearly Fantastic. enough. and uh, We don't encourage that nearly enough. So the more that we can speak about this with our golf clubs, the better. So thank you very much for sharing that with us, Christine. Um, right. Blummy, I've got a quick question for you. You're off to... LAT tour school in the latter end of our this year. So what are your plans in prepara- in your preparation for that um, up until now, until then? Um,
6: not much, really. Uh, I've got the next sort of six weeks of solid practice. Um, just came back from Cairns, so keep practicing. But then I'm actually um, going to America for three weeks to take my brother to college over there, so I've sort of got three weeks off in August, and then it'll be back into it when I come back, and a couple of events, I think, maybe Thailand, but possibly, more than likely, New Zealand, um, end of September, and then, yeah, just getting ready for probably Q School in middle of November, so...
3: I've heard your, your younger brother is a bit of a, um, a fitness freak. He's a bit of a track runner, I believe. And, and you um, too have been working on your fitness around the um, athletics track. Tell us a bit about that.
6: Uh, yeah, so my brother does 3K steeple and is definitely a distance runner. But um, yeah, towards the end of last year, I was sort of lacking motivation a bit. And mum decided that this one week I was going to go out and run with him at the track this one night and I was like all right we'll we'll see how that goes and then it was sort of once a week and then it sort of got to twice a week and now once they've come back to winter stuff it's like three four times a week so I'm really enjoying it it's like good to sort of do something other than golf and it's definitely improved my golf with like just the fitness wise like being able to play tournaments and survive the whole sort of four rounds and not feel tired or exhausted and the swing sort of break down a little or the mental side go. So it's definitely helped with all of that.
1: Isn't that interesting? Graham? have we got you there? Are you uh, in between or next to uh, the two women of your life?
9: We got- Say that again,
1: Andy. Oh, we've got you. You're there. Loud yep. and clear. Yeah. How's that tea looking before we ask you a question about golf and what you're doing? At the moment, how's that tea looking? Yeah,
9: it's- Pretty good. I must say that I've done a fantastic job. It's it's coming on really nicely. We're going to open it uh, Saturday week, which is a little bit ahead of schedule. But, um, yeah, I just want to get them on there as soon as I can and get them back to hitting a full distance hole.
1: Tell us about that pressure that comes with, um, you know, when you do uh, a renovation, whether it be minor or major on your golf course, you know, you've got your players that come through the place and they, they want access to it as quickly as they can, but you know when it's ready. Um, is that, from somebody coming from your position, a difficult balancing act to get right sometimes?
9: No, nah, because I, I, well, I always go the other side and say, because no, I said to them initially it won't be ready till the end of July, so they were thinking, oh, OK. So then, knowing full well that it's going to be a couple of weeks earlier than that, um, so then, all of a sudden, they think, "Oh, that's going to be great," you know, because you thought it was going to be the end of July. So they're quite happy now that it's going to be open, you know, about four weeks ahead of when they thought it was going to be. But it—it's only pressure you put on yourself. I mean, I'm a bit of a bit of a perfectionist, and I wasn't overly happy with it. But everyone else seems to think it's fine. So perhaps I'm just too much of a too hard on myself.
2: Earlier, Graham Christine was telling us about. Uh you know, the dream to own our own golf course. love to hear that from your perspective. I mean, it, it, it is such a great piece of land you're working on there. What Tell us about the big decision you made to take up that lease.
9: Well, it was, it was something that, I mean, we basically do what we want to do when we want to do it. We don't have uh, committees to answer to. We, we make our own decisions. Um, the committee here are pretty good, although they don't have much to say on what we do, if anything which is good in some ways, I suppose. They do give us plenty of support, though. They've, they've helped us out you know, immensely. So um, I've, I've always wanted to, to sort of run my own golf course, but I've always wanted to start from absolute scratch and just, whether it be in a forest or just a uh, a Lynx golf course and just start from nothing, that, that's something I've always wanted to do and this is probably about as close as I'll ever get to it, I think.
1: You know, there's a frustrated architect in there somewhere, I reckon, Graham. It sounds like uh, this 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 itch needs to be scratched before you're pushing up daisies, I reckon.
9: Yeah, yeah you're pretty right there, Andy. I've, I've always... I mean, I, I started... I loved cutting lawns as a 15-year-old kid and um, was lucky enough to come to the city to play football and ended up getting a job at uh, Grange Golf Club in 1980 and I've been doing it basically ever since. So, I was, and I've always loved golf courses and loved looking at golf courses. And we don't we don't play them when we ever we, whenever we go on holiday. But we always say, "Oh, there's a golf course. here, We'll go and have a look." And yeah. just, oh, that's a nice hole. Or, so it's always been in me. But um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's a it's a pretty expensive hobby, golf courses. I'll <laughs> oh, say that again. <laughs> I,
2: know, I I heard a great story one time, Graham. It was uh, how, how do you become a millionaire? And the answer was be a billionaire and invest in a golf course. <laughs> <laughs>
9: that's, a, that's about right
2: too. Mate, yeah. I, I just wanted to ask you, like, you, you, what, what do you go around that nine hole track in there at the moment?
9: Well, I don't. I don't play anymore. I haven't played now for about ten years. Um, the
2: girls were beating you down. The,
9: well, no, I just decided the game was too easy, so I've been trying to make <laughs> it a bit more difficult. Right, <laughs> and who, who'd
1: win if there was? If there was ten dollars on the line between the mum and the daughter, Graham, who'd get the who'd get the cash at the end of the round? Oh,
9: I, the bookies wouldn't even take the bet, Christine. that
1: hands down, Good. Christine. That's a <laughs> what a sobering answer that question is, Christine. <laughs> oh yeah,
8: it's only happened in the last
1: couple of years, though. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> hey, you guys sound awesome. Um, what, what's we we know that there's Christine, Graham, and Crystal. What's the name of this this um, steeplechase jumping son of yours that we might need to keep our eye on? What's his name?
9: Well, his, his name is actually Nicholas. Okay. And he's named after Jack Nicholas, believe it or not. Um, born on the same day.
2: Is he spelt like that or is he, spelled more yeah, like no, a... he spelt more like
9: a... Yeah, no, it spelt Nicholas as well. Wow,
1: that's mm-hmm. outstanding. It was, a,
9: it was a funny story. We were, we were traveling. Chris was pregnant and we were traveling from uh, Alice Springs to Darwin on a road trip with some friends of ours from England. And we were coming up with, you know, what if it's you know, if it's a boy, what's it going to be? And we were saying, and it, it, it was all golf-related, which everything is in our life anyway. Um, and we were going Fred after Fred Couples, and I said, oh, Fred Blum, that sounds a bit stupid. <laughs> um, so we came up with, uh, with Nicholas after Jack Nicholas, and I said, well, then if it's a boy, we'll, we'll spell it the same way. And they said, yeah, yeah, oh right. okay. So we just settled on that, and that was, oh, August. He was born in January. And another funny part of the side of that was the day that he was born, I was sitting there reading the morning's paper, and in it it had a a thing about on this day. And it it had in there, on this day, Jack Nicholas's birthday. And I thought, you're kidding me. And we we didn't even know when (laughs) his birthday was. So he was actually born on the same day. That is amazing. um, He's off to college in America uh, in August.
2: Are you comfortable that Crystal's a good chaperone?
9: <laughs> yeah, no, she's pretty. She's pretty street smart. She's uh, she travelled Europe last year on her own, so um, she's going to go and see some friends of ours and uh, drop him off. I think she's more interested in just having a look at the college and whatever. But uh, she's going to go up to New York and have a look at the first round of the FedEx Cup, and then she'll be home.
1: Oh, it sounds like a great plan and a fantastic adventure for the two kids to share um, between themselves. Uh, it's Look, it's it's an extraordinary life that um, you four have lived by the sounds of it, and we're better for knowing a little bit about it. Good luck with the golf club. Uh, anybody who's listening to this in South Australia, uh, make sure that if you're um, you know, keen for a game of golf and you haven't been down to North Haven, get down and have a look at it. It sounds like uh, it's a club that's going places. Uh, Christine Graham and Crystal, thanks so much for joining us. And Crystal, good luck with everything in front of you.
9: Thank you. Thanks, Andy. You you actually know my son? Do I? He, he yeah. He worked with you uh, during the Big Bash.
1: Is that right?
9: With Laurie, Laurie
1: Colliver? Oh, oh, I bet you. Well, there you go. Of course I do. Of course I do. Well, are he's we gonna,
9: a redheaded lad?
1: Yeah, we're going to see him again, or is he? Those days uh, are long gone. No, no,
9: because he's off to college yeah. now. So,
1: uh, yeah. but he, he
9: enjoyed uh, he enjoyed working with you and Howie and. Fonting and all the funny stories. He
1: told me at a ball. Uh, he's a good fella. He's a really good fella and we'd be nothing without those blokes, I tell you. We, we, the, you yeah. the, come across all smart. Oh, gee, how do they know that? Well, there's only one reason we know it. That's because those yeah. blokes are sticking pieces of paper under our noses the whole time. So, yeah. um, uh, Good luck to him then, Graham. We wish him all the very best. Hopefully um, he you know achieves everything that he wants to achieve uh, over sure there in the will. States. I bet you he will too. Sounds like he's got a good, supportive family around him. Hey, good luck with everything at North Haven. Thanks for your time, guys.
3: Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys.
1: Good on you. Christine Burton, Graham Blum and Crystal Blum. What a life. And you too, Hazy. What a life. They are living, those, um, that family. What, that sounds like a dream come true. Obviously, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work that they've endured on the way through and continuing to do so. But that's the sort of family, like well, my family, of course, that's the sort of family I wouldn't mind growing up in. They just
3: ooze the passion and love for the yeah. game, don't they?
2: And Christine's father, John, was the, the head pro at the Grange for 31 years. And we didn't even get to him. No, we did not. So it's just it's just a passion that runs deep there. So.
1: Go and have a look at it, folks. Um, we are talking to you lot in South Australia if you haven't been down to North Haven or maybe you had some views that about North Haven. It does sound like uh, that golf club is changing in front of our very eyes, so to speak. So if you haven't been down there recently, get down and have a look.
2: One of the great things that the uh, ISPS Hand of Women's Australian Open is doing in Adelaide is it's bringing attention to one of the great golf Bits of geography, topography mm. in the world. So from there, right down that coast, there is magnificent. You know, we've got the three that we know that are hosting the Women's Australian Open, but there's Glenelg and there's, you know, that one there, North Haven, and there's a whole string of courses mm. up and down that coast. All that, down oh, the Flurio. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Flurio's is beautiful, and you know that you just you just want to get there. And if you haven't had the ch- opportunity to do it. Grab it, no matter where you're listening to this around South Australia.
1: Make sure you catch up with uh, past episodes of the South Australian version of the Inside the Ropes podcast. Uh, This is episode five, so there's four others that if you're listening to this for the first time, you can go back and have a little listen to uh, other people who are making the game great in your neck of the woods. Uh, We'll do it again next week. Joe. enjoy Thailand. Have a great trip. I will. Hazy, have a good spell next week, and we'll see when you get back. Cheers, Annie. This is Inside the Ropes. We'll catch up with you next time.